So we've been talking about forgiveness the past few weeks, and we're going to continue this series this morning. But as we do, I wanted to just ask a question. Do you remember your first car accident? Do you remember the first time that, that you got in a car accident, and, and I, I don't know how, how old you were, or maybe you're here and you're like, I've never been in a car accident, it's never been my fault. Well, if that's you, praise God for that. But if you're like me, you had your very first car accident, and maybe it went something a little like this. I was 16 years old. I had just got my license about three months before, and I remember getting my license, and I'm like, I'm going to be a responsible person. I'm going to be that guy that never gets in a car accident. His insurance rates are always going to stay low. I'm going to be that guy. And so that's what I wanted to do with my life. And so one day I was uh, going after cross-country practice. I was taking one of my best friends home, dropped him off at his house, and his house was on the service drive next to the freeway. So it wasn't that big of a deal, but he had this really long driveway. So I drove up, and I, I dropped my friend off, and, and I backed up, started to back up, had my seatbelt on. I was looking in my rearview mirror as I was backing out of his long driveway, and I got to the end of his driveway. And I remember sitting there with my hands on the wheel. I'm like, okay, reverse. I'm good to go. I looked right. I looked left. I looked right. I looked left. I looked right. And then I said, okay, it's good. So I started to ease out. I didn't peel out, I didn't do anything, but I eased out, and as I did, bam, right into the side of this other truck. And I remember my heart just sinking in that moment, thinking to myself, oh, I've just ruined my perfect record. I'm only three months into this thing, and I've already trashed it. Oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? And so I put the car in park, and I'm like, what do we do? What do we do? What are you going back to thinking all the things that, that you're supposed to do when you get in a car accident? I'm like, where's my insurance and this and that? Well, the guy gets out of his truck, and he comes running over to the side of my truck and starts pounding on my window. As I'm freaking out in my mind, I'm like, what's going on? This guy's like, I'm trying to get home, and you ruined my day. You're going to pay. You're going to pay. And I'm just totally freaking out at this moment. And just by that, that, at that moment, my friend's dad comes running out. And he's like, oh, settle the guy down and all this other crazy stuff. And I remember just from that moment for the next few months, this pit that was in my stomach. Like every time I thought about the things that I had done and the ways that I had messed up, and I knew that it just wouldn't go away. And you know, I really wasn't worried about the car, even as the the car got fixed. And I wasn't really worried about the car, and I wasn't really worried about the other guy. Like I knew he was okay because he was able to scream and yell at me, so I know that he was okay. But I was afraid. I was worried about how my dad was going to react. You see, my dad was the one that taught me how to drive. My dad was the one that provided the car for me. I I bought it off of him, but he, like, here, give me a dollar and you can have the car. Like, one of those kind of scenarios. So it it was really my dad's car. It was my dad that taught me how to drive. And now I just ruined everything. I remember thinking, man, I just, oh, if I could just take it back. If I could just make my dad proud again. And I just wanted to hide. Well, you know, as we, we live this life that God has given us, you know, we break the rules. You know, we go through times where we sin, where we, we mess up. And as a result of our sin, as a result of our mistakes, we've seen so far that we are people that are in need of forgiveness. We go through our lives with one of the greatest needs that we have in our life is to be forgiven. And we need to be forgiven from God because he is the one ultimately that we have offended. 
We have given this offense. We've rebelled against God. We've broken the relationship that God has given us. And we're in deep need of forgiveness. You see, these lives we live in this pattern of sin leads us to this place of a need for forgiveness. And so as we've been talking about these last few weeks of a need for forgiveness, I want us to be aware this morning that the only way to enter into forgiveness, the only way for this broken relationship to begin to be restored, whether it's a broken relationship between you and your father, you and your mother, you and your son or daughter, you and God, the only way to begin to enter back into a time of forgiveness and a restored relationship is through repentance. Repentance is the only thing that we can do that brings us back into relationship. For we know God is a God that is ready and willing to forgive. He's a God that says, I'm loving, I'm slow to anger, I'm abounding in love, and ready and willing to forgive. So today, as we look at God's word, I want us to, as we've looked at the past few weeks, this this development of this pattern of sin that we live in, I want us to begin to take on a new pattern, and this, this pattern of repentance. We're going to look at the life of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to take it out and turn with me to Daniel chapter 9. And we're going to look at Daniel as a, a, a great developer of this pattern of repentance in the midst of living through the consequences of sin. So we're going to turn to Daniel chapter 9. And as you turn that, let me just pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you that you're a God that loves us and you're a God that cares for us and you're a God that says that you will forgive no matter how much we've done, no matter how much we've rebelled, no matter how much we've hated you, no matter how much we've turned from you, you say in your word, you promise that we can be forgiven. So I pray today that the truth and the reality of your forgiveness would rest on us. And that truth would move us to a place where we are ready to repent. Father, we are all here today in need of repentance. For each one of us have gone our own ways, whether in small ways or in big ways. And today we need you. So Father, today bring us to the place of repentance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I want to give us the context of, of Daniel's situation real fast. And so we can turn to, to Daniel chapter 9 and look at verses 1 and 2, and we're going to see the predicament of sin. So we see here in verse 1, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, a descendant of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Now that may not make a whole lot of sense to you, but we see that as Daniel has come on the scene and God is using Daniel to be a prophet, God is using Daniel in in, uh, this time in history, we see that he finds himself in the place where God's people were in sin and now they're living in the consequences of that sin because God has exiled them. He says, no longer are you allowed to be in your hometown. You're no longer allowed to be in Jerusalem. You're no longer allowed to be in Israel. Instead, I'm going to cast you out because you have sinned. You have turned your back to me. And so Daniel finds himself deep in the midst of these consequences. We see as we go back and we walk through the book of Daniel, we see that that Daniel has, as he's come through this time and, and he's living in this exile, he has served under several leadership changes. 
The kings have changed as he has been in exile. So we know an an expansive amount of time has changed and gone on. And we see that as Daniel is sitting down in the midst of this, he goes to the Lord and and begins to identify, God, when is this going to end? When are you going to redeem your name? When are you going to redeem your people? When are you going to take us out of this? And we see that he goes to the book of Jeremiah. And we know in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah foretold that this was going to take place. But then Jeremiah also foretold that this time would end. And Jeremiah gives this year, he gives this number. It says it will be about 70 years that my people will be in exile. So we see here at the beginning of chapter 9, Daniel approaching God. He comes to the God of the universe as he had so many times before in this book. And he's approaching God because he fears that the current sins of God's people would make God defer or delay his deliverance. So he's coming to God saying, God, please do not defer this deliverance that you promised, even though we are sinful, even though we've been living in rebellion, please do not leave us here. Or maybe he's also praying that the people may be prepared for the deliverance of God. So he goes to God saying, God, please don't delay, but also prepare us so that when you come, when you carry out your words of promise, we will be ready. So that's the predicament. That's where he he finds himself now. And then in verse 3, we see he begins this pattern of repentance. Look with me in verse 3. So this is all going on. In verse 3, Then I turned my face to the Lord, the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his covenants. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. He begins by talking about and developing this pattern of repentance. You see, biblical repentance is very important for us to understand. Biblical repentance is not a change in activity or a change in behavior. That is not repentance. Repentance is not just, okay, I've been going this way, I've been doing this thing, I've been sinning this way. And repentance is not just changing that behavior. Repentance is, biblical repentance begins with a change of mind. It begins with a change of mind, not a change of behavior. A change of behavior is the result of repentance. So many times we live our lives thinking to ourselves, well, I've been going this thing, so what I need to do is I need to fix myself. I need to change my ways so that I can be a better person or so that I can be closer to God. And that's exactly the wrong thing. That's why we continue to fall through these patterns of sin. It's because we're not truly repentant. True repentance begins with a change of mind. It begins in our mind where we say to ourselves, God, I have taken you off the throne of my life. I have taken control or I've rebelled against you in my mind. So begin by changing my mind. And as you change my mind, change my direction. We see this here. Look at what it says right here that, that Daniel began to do. He began by turning his face to the Lord. Verse 3, then I turned my face to the Lord. That's the beginning part. So he knows that where the head goes, or the direction that the head goes, the head leads. And so everything follows the head. That is so much so true in our lives. You see, the Lord had allowed Daniel through the course of time to see his sin and see his situation. So Daniel begins by turning his face back to the Lord. 
So he's been going one way. God's people have been going one way. And he turns his face back to the Lord to look back at him, no longer at the direction that he was going, but the way that he wants to go. We know that the head always leads. So we begin in this pattern of repentance by turning our face back to the Lord. When we realize that we have messed up, when we finally realize that we have done wrong or we've gone, uh, uh, gone a different path or we've gone outside the bounds in which God has given us to live in, in joy and peace, our first response should be to turn our face back to the Lord. That goes against our natural tendency. Our natural tendency when we feel like we've messed up or we realize that we've gone beyond what is acceptable, our natural tendency is to hide our face in shame. Now, my dog, Lottie, is a, a perfect example of this. My dog, Lottie, she's a, a beautiful dog. She's a great dog. She's a very obedient dog. But if you want to see her demeanor absolutely change, like you can come in, she runs in, she'll, she'll sniff you, she'll hug you, she'll give you kisses. But if you turn to her and you look at her and you say, Lottie, what did you do? What did you, she might not have done anything, but her demeanor and her countenance completely changes. She goes from being a happy dog that's wagging your tail with her tongue out. She, she puts her head down and her tail goes underneath her little nub, goes back underneath her and she just lays there and cowers. It's a great example of how we respond when we realize that we've messed up, right? The world will tell you that's the way you're supposed to do it. The way that you're supposed to go when you mess up is that you're supposed to hide in shame. We see that in Adam and Eve. The first thing that they did after they disobeyed God is what did they do? They finally saw that they were naked and they were ashamed, so they hid. That's the exact opposite response that the Lord desires from those who desire him. Our first response should be not to turn our face from the Lord, but we've already turned our face from the Lord. So our response should be to turn our face back unto the Lord. And when we do that, we are remembering the character of God. Remember, God says, I love you. I'm quick to forgive you. I'm loving. I'm abounding in love. I'm slow to anger. I want you to be close to me. We hide in shame when we think, the one whom we love is going to cast us out when we know that's what we deserve. But Daniel turns his face unto the Lord. The second thing that he does is he seeks God's face. Not only does he turn back to the Lord, he begins to seek God's face. Look at me in, in the second part of verse 3. He says, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy. So we turn from the direction with our mind, with our eyes, with the the intention of our heart. We turn it back into the Lord, and then we look deeply again into the eyes of God. We look for him. We see his face. We see how our offense has hurt him. But we also see his love for us. And when we turn our eyes from where we've been going and we turn our eyes to look back intently into the eyes of God, we're able to see our sin. Remember last week we talked about sometimes we, we deal not with the, the root of sin, but we deal with the fruit of sin. When we deal with the fruit of sin, that's not going to change our course and our path. What we need to go to is we need to come to a place where we identify the root of our sin so the Lord can kill it. And that's what it takes here is turning our face back unto the Lord and looking deeply into him so that we can see 
the root of our sin. And God will reveal to us. I love David's words in Psalm 139. When he boldly comes to the Lord. And he boldly looks intently into the face of God. And he says this. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Oh, how are we going to the Lord and saying, Lord, reveal to me the deepest, darkest rebellion of my soul. So many times I think we're so afraid of the Lord, that we don't want to reveal those parts. We don't want the Lord to reveal those parts of us to ourselves. But I think the true believer, the true follower, understands that those patterns of our life must be killed. And we must allow the Lord to do it. We come to the Lord by seeking his face and say, Lord, help me see because I'm a blind person. Lord, reveal, reveal and remove the scales from my eyes so that I can see how my actions or my attitudes have offended you. Help me to see that. For when I see, then I can begin to deal with what I've done. But I also want us to see here. Look at Daniel's posture. with me in verse 3, the, the, the third part of verse 3. He says, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Like true repentance involves a certain posture of our heart. You know, we can give lip service to repentance. We can come to a point of where we say, you know what, I messed up, I, I, I did wrong, and then just move on. But that's not true repentance. True repentance in, involves a true posture of our heart. True repentance is not just sorrow over the consequences. We can go through life and we can mess up and we can feel sorry for for what we've done because we're living in consequences. And that's exactly not what Daniel was doing at this point. He he was living in the consequences of, of his sin, but also the sin of others. But it wasn't just sorry for what he'd done. It wasn't just like, man, what a mess I've made. Please, God, get me out of here. Or he wasn't just sad, and and true repentance is not just being sad because you got caught. Sometimes we we, we get upset or we feel bad because we got caught, but if we wouldn't have got caught, we would have continued in the path of sin. So true repentance is not just upsetness or sadness because we got caught. There must be a deeper understanding and a deeper sorrow. And this is very challenging to navigate. I'll be honest with you, as I've walked with the Lord for for many years now, this has been very challenging for me myself to navigate as I'm trying to figure out, God, when when is what I feel true repentance? And when is it just I feel bad because I got caught or I I feel bad because now I'm going through challenges or I'm going through a time of where you're disciplining me. But we see here Daniel kind of uncovers and unpacks the mystery. See, Daniel Daniel here utilizes outward signs to show his inward sorrow. Now, I'm not recommending that we go and we we continue to use outward signs to show what happens inwardly. I, I don't think that's necessary, but I believe what Daniel is showing is showing what must take place on the inside 
of us. You see, we see that he, he fasts and he uses sackcloth and he uses ashes. Now, those three things are very important for us to understand. Because fasting, fa- by, by refraining from eating, what it's showing is it's realigning Daniel's reliance on God. Who is the provider of all the food that we need to eat? In essence, it's God, right? So in fasting, what you're saying is, God, I want to realign myself because I know that you're the provider of good things. Everything that I need to sustain my life comes from you, and so it's realigning myself with that promise. But then we come and we see sackcloth. Sackcloth was very uncomfortable clothing that those that were mourning would wear to show that they were in mourning. And so what sackcloth can be used is we need to begin to understand in our hearts that we need to become uncomfortable with our sin. Like sin, our sin has to become detestable to us. If we're comfortable with our sin, we're continually comfortable with the path of sin that we've decided and it no longer bothers us, it no longer hurts us, it no longer shames us, it no longer brings us back to God, then we're in trouble. But when we look at that sin and we allow it to make us uncomfortable, that's a necessity for true repentance. But then we also see Daniel used ashes. Ashes are a reminder of death. Like we must come to the place where we look deeply at our sin and realize that sin equals death. Sin always equals death. It's death to relationships. It's our own personal death, but it's death, it's morbid, it's killing, and it's sucking the very life out of us with which God gave us to enjoy. So ashes is a reminder of death. So Daniel uses these outward signs to show his inward sorrow. And I believe that godly sorrow is only something that God can produce in us. You can't make yourself sorrowful enough in this way that leads to true repentance. If you could, then your righteousness, your right standing before God would be something that you could do on your own. But instead, it's not something you can do on your own, but it's us coming to the place of where we surrender to the work of God. That's what it truly is. Where we come to ourselves, we say, I've messed up. I turn my face back to you, God. God, please now break me. God, break me into a million pieces so that you can put me back together again. The Bible calls this contrition. There's a beautiful picture Jesus is talking in Matthew chapter 24, or chapter 21, of contrition. It's coming to this place of, 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 of being sorrowful over your acts of betrayal against God or, or coming to a place of brokenness. Matthew chapter 24 says this. Chapter 21, verse 44 says this. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone whom it falls on, will be crushed. Now what Jesus is saying here is that sin is always, always, always dealt with. And now there's two opportunities that we have with this sin. Whether we can do the, the right thing, which is this contrition, this right act, and it's this place where we come and we see who we are as sinful people and we thrust ourselves upon this rock. Now you know what this rock is? You know who Jesus is referring to? He's referring to himself. And so what he's saying here is, here, when you come to the place where you realize you, you sin, you thrust yourself upon him and his work on the cross where his body was crushed for us and he paid our penalty and died our death. So we're thrusting ourselves upon him. And what does he promise? He promises when you come to that place where you thrust yourself upon him, you will be broken. 
Oh, there's beauty in brokenness. For the beauty in brokenness is, is, is that I'm in a million pieces. I know I'm in need. I'm, I've given up control of my life. And then the Lord comes and puts us back together. So that's one option we have. The second option is we see in the words of Jesus, we can either fall on the stone to be broken, but anyone who refuses to fall on the stone will be utterly crushed. So when you come to this place where you die and you stand before God and he says, hey, what did you do with your life? You're like, man, I sinned. I never turned my, my face to you. I never gave my life over to you. And you know what's going to happen? The consequences of the cross that Jesus endured for you will be placed on you. And you will be utterly crushed. Not broken, but crushed. James chapter 4 verse 6 says this, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Oh, there's a wrong attitude and there's a wrong posture when we realize that we've sinned. I don't know if you see this, but I, I, I see it in my children. Sometimes my kids fight, like they don't get along. Someone will pull someone's hair and someone will give them a quick jab to the nose. Stuff like that happens in my house. I don't know if it happens like that in your house. But my kids don't get along sometimes. And so sometimes when we, we realize that they're fighting or they realize they're arguing, mom or, or I jump in and we, we try to break up the fight and we're like, hey guys, cool off, what's going on? And they're like, well, she did this and she did that. And I'm going to do this. I don't like you anymore. You're not my best friend. And they say these hurtful words and they do these hurtful things. And as we're trying to pull them apart, we're like, okay, guys, now that we've figured out what's going on, we turn to one and we say, now, now say you're sorry. Hug each other and say you're sorry. And, and what do they do? Sorry. I'm sorry. Like they give you that kind of thing, you know? I'm sorry. Okay, give them hugs. They're bodies all the way away apart from each other they do that you know and you're like well you guys aren't really sorry you're going to stay there until you like each other right that is the improper and the wrong posture to take that's the improper posture to take and we do that with the lord like the lord in our time with the lord and our walk with the lord he begins to open up the little bit of time we spend with the lord we, we read his words and he begins to dive deep and the holy spirit begins to show us the dark parts of our lives and what do we want to do? We want to shut the book real quick and say, Lord, I'm sorry. We want to move on. When really, we're not sorry. Really, we're not even at a place where God begins to bring us to a place of repentance. And we're just not ready for it. But true repentance, going back to that scenario of the children, true repentance is having the children begin to realize in their minds and their hearts how they've offended their sister. Like how their selfishness, how their anger, how their pure hatred has come out in a way that has caused them to offend their sister by pulling their hair or punching them in the nose. A true repentance would be one of those children turning to the other and saying, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I, I offended you. I can't believe I hurt you. You're my sister. You're the one that God has given me in my life to be a special blessing unto me. And I hurt you. You see, true repentance, I don't believe can truly take place in 30-second prayer. Like there, there, are, there are times, uh, this, that's not an absolute, there are times, but I think in the beginning of where people that are trying to learn how to be repentant, it's not going to be something that can just happen in 30 seconds. 
It, it may, as you get older and, and you become more sensitive to the spirit of God and his work inside of you, it may be that you can get to that point of 30 seconds. But the reality is many of us are so full of our lives with so many other things that we want to do, 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 instead of working on just being right with the Lord. And that takes time. And I don't believe that we give God enough time to break us. We don't put ourselves in position with the Lord for him to do the dirty work in our lives. Maybe because we're afraid. Maybe because we're too busy. But we must allow God to do the work to bring us to the place of being broken. Have you been broken before? Have you truly been broken by the Lord? If you had, you know It's a scary place, but it's also an awesome place. Like it's scary because you know you finally see like the depravity of your heart. You finally see the ugliness that's inside of you. But at the same time, you feel the presence of God coming right beside you. Saying, I love you. If you would but let go of this, I will forgive you. I will love you. I will be close to you. I will be with you. That's the right posture. But we also see that it didn't just end there. It doesn't just end with having the right posture. We see in verse 4 that there's action now. That Daniel begins in verse 4 to pray. He says, I prayed to the Lord, my God, and I made confession. So we can see that he spends time giving the content of his prayer. Look at me in the second part of verse 4. He says, these are my prayers. So as I'm in the bright position, I've turned my face back into the Lord. I'm looking deeply into the eyes of God. I'm allowing him to break my heart. Now I'm going to pray. Now I'm going to express. And so he begins by expressing words of adoration. He says, oh Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So he's reminding himself, but also communicating to the Lord how good this great and mighty God is. And then once he takes that time, he goes from a time of adoration, then he goes into a time of confession. And verses 5 through 14 are a time where he is expressing confession over his personal sin, but also the nation of Israel and their sin. And look what he says in verse He says, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled. We turned aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. See, confession is important. Confession is something where we ourselves are recalling the wrongs that we have done, and in confessing, we're taking responsibility for our own rebellion. And if we were to sum up verses 5 through 14, we could see, and if you have time later on this afternoon, I encourage you to spend time looking deeply into the confessions of Daniel. But basically, his confessions can be summed up by saying, God, we have not followed your word. God, we have not followed your ways. God, we have walked in wicked ways. And God, we have not listened to your warnings. We've not followed your words. We've not walked in your ways. We've not listened to your warnings. You see, Israel has had a very long history of disobedience. You could almost turn to any page on the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, and you could see that the people of God are continuing to rebel against God. 
where God is continually saying, I love you. I desire this relationship with you. I have this covenant with you where I'm going to show you my special love. I'm going to show you my, you're going to be my special people, and it's going to make my name great among the nations. And we see God's people continually saying, nah, we don't want that. Nah, we don't want that. We want to go our own way. We want to do our own thing. Your words are not good. Your provisions aren't enough. And we see that continually turning and turning and turning. But we see here Daniel gets it right. He uses the word we. Daniel wasn't there back outside of Egypt when when God's people were, were turning and worshiping Baal. He wasn't there, but he's saying... Because I'm them, I am with them. Because I am one of them, I was there. So he's saying their sin is my sin, and my sin is their sin. And he's taking responsibility for all of it. For he realizes sin fully corrupts. Sin doesn't just corrupt one person, individual. Sin continually, unrepentant sin continually corrupts the whole nation. And so David's, or Daniel spends time confessing it, saying, we have done this. I have done this. And then David, or Daniel spends some time in verses 15 through 19 giving a, a petition to the Lord. He asks the Lord, look at me in verse 15. He says, and now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself at this day. We have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from our city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for our iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem, and for your people, we have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon us in your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see your desolation in the city that I call by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because we are righteous, because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. You see, Daniel understood that forgiveness and mercy are not deserved. And he's calling on God to act in a way that is full of grace and full of mercy. So he petitions God. God, please save us from our wickedness. But I want us to see Lastly, I want us to see the picture of the Lord's response to our repentance. Like, what's going on in in the heavens? What's going on in the heart of God when we finally turn back to him and say, God, I messed up in this way, this way, this way, and this way. Break me, and God breaks us. What does he do? I want to give us this picture, and I'm going to do this real briefly, but look with me in verses 20 through 23. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen in the vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. 
He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. While praying on earth, there is this heavenly activity that is taking place. We see that as as God hears the prayers of Daniel, do you see what it says there? God sent Gabriel swiftly. So it's almost as though as the prayers begin to go up, God continues to come down in a very swift way, in a real way, to meet there with those that are repentant. Psalm chapter 34, verse 18 also gives us this promise. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in Spirits. Oh, the beauty of God. Oh, the beauty of our sorrow. The quickness of the Lord to respond. I want to give you, if this heavenly picture doesn't help, let me give you an earthly picture of what takes place. As I shared with you before, sometimes my children fight. And sometimes they have some consequences because of their sin and because of their disobedience. And so what we do is we, we sit and we listen, and, we, and then as parents we try to judge between what's going on, and inevitably there are consequences. And it's usually, you know, go to your room, or they get corrected through a spanking, or, or different things. They get their consequences, but the beauty of it is, it's later on in the evening, or sometime later, when I'm sitting there all alone and, and maybe I'm reading my Bible or I'm watching TV or getting ready to go to bed, one of my kids will come into the room and they'll come over to me and they'll say, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have hit her. I shouldn't have pulled her hair. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Like, you know what my response is? My response is not, hey, get away from me. My response is quick. Like, I quickly pick him up and I embrace him in my arms and say, I love Oh, I love you. Relationships restored. Everything's good. I'm able to just experience that love and that closeness. And if I can experience that as being an earthly father, how much more is my heavenly father doing that with me? Who has much more love, who has much more grace, who has much more mercy, and who is not imperfect. Oh, my brothers and sisters today, Let us be reminded that it is through our repentance that that opens the door for forgiveness to truly be given and a relationship to be restored. This morning, are you in need of a restored relationship? Like, are you here for the very first time and you know that your life has been a rebellion against the God of the universe and you know for the first time today that you need him? Then my encouragement to you is to turn your face to him And say, God, I'm casting myself on the work of Christ. And in faith, I trust that he can forgive me. And then begin to walk a new life with him. Maybe you're here today and and you have that relationship with the Lord. But you've gone down this life, taken on this pattern of sin. And the Lord is reminding you today that something's not right. Maybe you don't even know what it is. Maybe you don't know what the root of your sin is. But you're experiencing the fruit. Then I encourage you today. Like, don't go to lunch. 
Like don't, don't do anything else this afternoon, but go on your knees in the quiet time sometime today before the Lord and say, God, I'm not leaving here until you show me my sin and until I confess it to you and allow the work of God to work inside of you. Let's pray. Father, we know that you are good and we thank you for your word. And Father, though sometimes your word seems hard, your word seems scary, Father, we know that it's good. And Father, though the world and Satan would want us to believe that there's great shame in our sin and that if we sin, you will not love us anymore, Father, help us to believe and to know that those words are false. Help us to know that there is no sin too great that you cannot forgive. Father, help us to have hearts that turn from the ways that we're going and help us to turn back to you and allow us to take the time as fully surrendered people to allow you to work in us. God, continue to work in us today as we leave and as we go about our days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.